Over the weeks this year, the science show and Shelby Traynor have brought us verse from the book Outer Space, A Hundred Poems, published by Cambridge University Press. The editor is Midge Goldberg. It's an anthology of a hundred poems about outer space. It includes poems from many different cultures all around the world and all across time. And it's really just a way of watching how our poems and thought about outer space have both stayed the same and changed throughout all of this time. So I just wanted to start off by getting a bit of your background because I understand you're not in science. No, that's right. I'm primarily a poet. I got involved because it was 2019 and the anniversary of the moon launch was coming up. I had also at the same time just been published in this book called Romanticism, 100 Poems. And I thought, well, this is a great series by Cambridge, these 100 poems. And I thought, wow, outer space, that would be a great collection, 100 poems about outer space. And I knew a few of the more well-known ones, but once I started looking, it was just amazing how many poems I found. And was there anything in particular that stood out when you were searching for poems to include in the collection? I guess the thing that stood out is that you could find poems about the very same topic that were from the 12th century BCE and written in the last year. And sometimes how similar people sounded spread all across time and cultures. And then sometimes how different they sounded, how things changed or how they thought about the same thing very differently. One of the things that I discovered, and maybe it was kind of naive of me, but there are poems written in the 1600s and the 1700s. They happen to be by women, but they are imagining traveling in space, really imagining it, like going past the planets and the asteroids and all of this. And I never thought that women three, four hundred years ago would be thinking about outer space so technically. And it was such a pleasure to discover those poems. Mm. And from a poet's perspective, why do you think that there's such a fascination with the night sky and space and exploration in poetry? Well, it's funny. I mean, it's there. It always has been there. So if a poet is looking around for something you write about, there's the sky. But more specifically than that, you can assign almost anything to it you want. If you want to tell a story about something up there, you can tell a story If you're feeling some emotion, you can use it as a metaphor for almost however you're feeling. Like if you're in love, the moon is is lovely. If you're lonely, well, the moon is lonely. You know, you can kind of use these things in the sky to be wonderful metaphors. And I'm curious about what the process of compiling the collection is like. I'm presuming it's quite difficult when you're compiling lots of poems from different places about what you can use, what you can't use. Yeah, it was quite a journey for me. I mean, I started with some of the poems I knew, some of the more well-known ones, you know, one that was on the front page of the New York Times, the day of the moon landing. And then as I started to work on the book, a little bit of the reality of book publishing struck. Poems require permissions and permissions require money. So I had to rethink a little of what I wanted to do. But in the rethinking, I started to discover so many more poems. I got the idea of reaching back and doing more of this sort of comparison over time, which I ended up loving seeing that evolution. And then also looking out among all these different cultures and around the globe even now, You have featured a couple of poems on your program that were from people who I only met during this process of researching. Alice Gorman, who's a space archaeologist in Australia, I only stumbled across her poem and now we have this 
wonderful connection or Victoria Mool, who did the Sanskrit translation for one of the poems. So it's really just been a great adventure. And the book turned into so much more than I ever could have imagined when I first started out. And I suppose that's kind of like science and space. It spans different cultures and there's an admiration and a wonder associated with it across these cultures. And you can really see that in the translations that you've included. Were there any other poems in particular that were your favorites? Well, there's a poem in there by a Native American tribe that's lived and still lives very close to where I live right now. The poem is certainly hundreds of years old at least. And to think whoever wrote that poem was standing not that far from here looking up at the same stars that I'm looking at now, I think that's just amazing. Yeah, what a great way to connect with people through time. Going back to your experience as a poet, can you take me through kind of the science of writing a poem for people who might not be familiar with what that experience is like? Often it's just a spark, an idea, and then there's a bit of experimentation going on. As I'm working on the poem, the poem is guiding me a little bit. Is it going to be a sonnet? Is it going to be villanelle? Is it free verse or blank verse? So I'm playing with it. Very rarely I'll have that wonderful experience of a poem just comes to me all at once and I'm rushing for a piece of paper to scribble it down. But more often I'm working on it, seeing how it develops, saying it out loud so that I can hear how it sounds. Have you noticed the sky, space, exploration, those themes sneaking their way into your work since you put the collection together? Well, that's pretty funny because Alice, who I mentioned, I saw something that she had posted on Twitter about the phrase argument of periapsis. And I said, wow, I wonder what that is. And I went and looked up what it was. And I wrote a poem about it. And then the poem was just awarded a prize from Plow Magazine. So absolutely, it has snuck into my work. And what what does that phrase mean? Oh, dear. Um, (laughs) It has something to do with when one object is orbiting another object. And periapsis, boy, I hope I'm getting this right, is when it's at the closest point in its orbit to the planet. And the argument of periapsis is an angle measured between the orbit and the orbiting object, something like that. But I used it mostly as a metaphor having to do with being close to someone that you love and of course, arguing with them occasionally, but still how you are both in the same orbit and how you travel through space together. Yeah, space certainly ripe for metaphors. And what do you think more generally about this delineation between science and art? Do you think it even exists? Do you think it should exist? What's your perspective on that, especially post putting this collection together? Well, I absolutely see the overlap in it. Poets and astronomers are, are often trying to answer the same kinds of questions. You know, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? More specifically, I think that science probably has to use metaphor because you have to have a way of talking about something before you know exactly what it is. And wonder and curiosity, you have to be have those things to be a good scientist and you have to have those things to be a poet. And really, like, science is just full of mystery. And what else does a poet want but something full of mystery that they can explore? Amazing. Thank you so much, Midge. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Midge Goldberg, editor of Outer Space, 100 Poems, published by Cambridge.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.